Thank you, Moki, John, Roger. That was wonderful. Let us pray. Lord, as the men just sang, you've touched us and made us whole. As we turn our attention now to your word that is written here for us, which is to be read here among us, we ask that you touch us with the power of your spirit, that you reveal something to us, that you reveal your truth to us, and that something will happen to change us and to make us whole, to sanctify us, to move us on a little bit closer to holiness. Lord, we ask that you bless this time we have together in the presence of each other and in the presence of your Spirit. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Our scripture uh, today is, is from Acts chapter 10, and it's a very long chapter, but it tells a, a story. Um, I've, I've selected portions of it to read so that I, I'm not standing up here for, for 10 minutes reading it to you. But, uh, but our scripture comes from chapter 10, verses 9 through 23, and verses 34 through 48. So please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 23. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Now verses 34 through 48. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, a week or so ago, uh, I mentioned that one of the primary motives that Luke had for writing the book of Acts was to, uh, to make an argument in Paul's defense for why he should be a missionary to the Gentiles. You see, Paul was going around at, at the time that this book was written uh, as a missionary to Gentile nations, and, and you had a lot of Jewish people, uh, Jewish disciples, uh, saying this is not right. Uh, Christianity uh, should be for the Jewish people. And so Luke set about writing his gospel and the book of Acts as a way of saying, no, look, this is uh, God always intended uh, to offer salvation, to offer uh, the gospel message, and to offer his grace to, uh, to all nations, uh, even to the Gentiles. And so Luke wrote the book of Acts uh, sort of detailing how that, that mission came about and how it took off. And so this story here is one of the pivotal moments in the history of that, uh, because this is the, the point where the gospel is taken uh, outside of the Jewish nation. It is taken to the Gentiles. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, uh, the chapter started off, the portion that I didn't read, it starts off talking about Cornelius. And Cornelius was a Gentile. He was, uh, he was an Italian. And he was uh, praying faithfully, it says. He was offering uh, alms of thanksgiving to the Lord. He, he, was, giving, uh, he was giving to the poor. Uh, he was doing all of these things to demonstrate that he loved God, that he was seeking God, and he was devoted to God. And it says that God looked at Cornelius and said, Cornelius, I have uh, heard your prayers. They have gone up to heaven. You see, God had been planning to do this new thing. God had always intended to bring salvation to all the nations. But God saw Cornelius as someone, a Gentile, who was faithful, who was earnestly seeking him, who was earnestly crying out to him. And he said, okay, Cornelius, I see you. I see your heart. I see your devotion. I see your dedication. And I'm going to use you to do this new thing. You are going to be the person I choose to do this new thing through, you and Peter. So send some men to Joppa to go find Peter. Now this right here was already 
um, a declaration of God's intent, that he was going to do something miraculous, that he was going to do something new and big. Because Peter, at this time, was sort of the big dog. He was the big dog in Christianity. Everybody knew who Peter was. He was sort of heading up the whole thing, and he was performing miracles. In fact, in the chapter just before this, Peter had healed a man who had been paralyzed for eight years. And then right after that, he went to a lady named Tabitha, who was dead. And Peter prayed, and in the name of Jesus, he brought her back to life. So Peter was becoming something of a celebrity in the early church, you could say. Everybody knew about the power that God was pouring into and through Peter. And Peter was a well-sought-after person at this time in the church. He was sort of the big dog. So the fact that God looks at, at Cornelius and says, I've got a new thing I want to do. I see you. I see your faithfulness. I see your dedication. I've heard your prayers. Now I want you to go find Peter, send men to find Peter. That tells you that God was really setting the table for something big. So uh, with, with Peter and all that's been going on with him, we, we can guess that, uh, especially in light of what happens here, Peter may have been struggling with some things. And one of the things that, that I believe he was struggling with was pride. Because there is a, a, a thing that happens when you're in ministry and you're doing the work of God. It is very easy to, to think that you might, be, you might have something to do with that. And the reason I say that Peter might have been struggling with this is because when the Lord spoke to him in this vision, Peter talked back to God. Did you catch that? There is an oxymoron there. An oxymoron is a statement or a phrase that completely contradicts itself and doesn't make sense. And when, when God gave, uh, uh, when he showed Peter this vision of the animals that were unclean and he said, kill and eat, what was Peter's response? He said, by no means, Lord. That's an oxymoron. Because when he, you say Lord, you are saying that God has authority over you. When we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, we are saying we have surrendered ourselves to his command because we recognize he is the ruler over us. Lord is a declaration, a declaration of his sovereignty and his authority. And so Peter calls him Lord, but then tells him, no, I'm not going to do what you just told me to do. So it's a contradiction. But you can see that Peter has a little bit of pride because he says, God tells him, take and eat. Kill and eat. And Peter says, no, by no means, Lord. And then this is where the pride is evident. He says, I have never eaten anything unclean. Now, I don't know if this pride was, was held over from a lifetime of, of piety or observing the Mosaic laws, or if this pride was coming on the heels of performing some great miracles. I don't know, but there was an element of pride here. Because Peter talks back to God, by no means, Lord. I've never done that. And God responds, do not call what I've made clean, unclean. And it says that God gave him this vision three times. Now, with Peter, everything has to happen three times. Have you noticed that? He's hard-headed. When Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times, Peter said, no, I'm not. That's not going to happen. And later that night, what happened? Peter denied him once. Now, most people, after you deny who Jesus Christ is, the man you've been following, 
the man you pledge your allegiance to, the man that you believe to be the Messiah, the Son of God, after you deny him once, most people would go, whoa, what did I just do? What did I just say? He told me I was going to do that, and then I did it. But Peter did it once and thought nothing of it. And then a little while later, he did it a second time and thought nothing of it. It wasn't until the third time it clicked and he said, oh, yeah, that is what he told me I was going to do. And when the resurrected Jesus saw Peter, he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, you know I do, Lord. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And Jesus asked him this question and gave him the answer three times. Why? Because he knew that it took three times to get through to Peter. It reminds me of a, a movie, that uh, a silly movie I, I used to, to think was hilarious when I was in high school. One of the Austin Powers movies. And there was a, a, a villain in there named Mustafa. And, uh, and, and Austin Powers finds him and says, who sent you? And Mustafa says, I spit at the question, I'll never tell you. And Austin Powers asks him again, who sent you? I'll never tell you, Austin. And then he says, who sent you? Mustafa says, Dr. Evil sent me. And Austin says, well, that was easy. And he says, yes, I can't stand to be asked the same question three times. It irritates me. And so so he goes on and he asks him the same question three times over and over again to get information out of him. And that's sort of what goes on with Peter here. We see over and over again in the scriptures, things have to get through to Peter three times. And so God keeps giving him this vision of this sheet and the the animals three times because Peter is hung up on, no, no, I'm not going to touch that. I never have. Now, I can sort of understand Peter's hesitancy. This was a mosaic law that he felt like he was going to be violating. These laws dated back to the Old Testament. But, but let me say something about, about these Mosaic laws, about uh, purification and about what to eat and all. First of all, they were given during a time where the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness. And so God's giving of these laws, of these commands, was, uh, was part of his way of, of keeping them alive. It was sustaining them as a nation because if, if, if they had opened themselves up to disease and illness and sickness, the, the nation of Israel could have been completely wiped out. But God was, was committed to them and sustaining them, and so these laws had a lot to do with keeping them healthy throughout. And then the second thing, the laws were a way for the people to show God how grateful they were for his grace. He had graciously freed them from Egypt, and so now they were showing their their gratitude for that. So that's what these laws were. But God was saying, no more. These laws now are being used to segregate, to divide, and to keep my love, my gospel, my message from being preached to certain people, and I'm not going to allow that. I'm not going to allow these these laws, these purification laws that I put in place, I'm not going to allow them to come between me and the people that I love. And who does he love? The whole world. One of the most famous scriptures in, in, in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved, what? The world. That's right. The world. Not part of the world, not some of the people, all of the people of the world he loved. And sent his only begotten son. Now when I was uh, working on this sermon this week, all that stuff that's happened over the weekend in in Virginia hadn't happened yet. 
the, uh, the white nationalists, the, the, uh, the supremacists, the, the racists who, who have come together and there have been all these, this turmoil and this battle and riots and protests and all this stuff, just seeds of hatred being sown and people have already been killed in those protests. And it's tragic because all of that stems from hatred and division. And, I, and I, none of that had happened yet when I was looking at this, but it's a timely message because this message speaks directly to that. God does not look at us and think that one group of people is going to be any better than another group of people. This is a lie that has been going on since the beginning of time. We have people now who call themselves the alt-right who, who say we are better than all these other races. But this is the same thing that was going on in Israel. And Peter was guilty of it. Some of the disciples, many of the disciples were guilty of it. We are better than the Gentiles. And God was saying, no. I love the whole world. And my grace, my gospel is extended to all. And what happens is the gospel changes us. It changes who we are. It changes all of us who we are. But it doesn't make us really a completely different person. What it does is it makes us a more perfect person, a, a better image of what it was God intended for us to be to begin with. You see, the gospel is good news for all of us. But there's a caveat. It is good news for all of those who love him and earnestly repent of their sins. When we take communion once a month, I say the table is open to all who what? Who love him and earnestly repent of their sins. We have to cry out to God. And that's what God saw Cornelius doing. Here is someone who loves me and is earnestly repenting and is crying out to me. And I'm not going to let his race, his culture, his age, none of that stuff keep me from bringing my love to him. And so the gospel was offered to him to change him. And it was still changing Peter. We can see that Peter is humbled because he goes down to the men and he says, I now understand God shows no partiality. He understands what the vision meant. That this vision to take and eat of all these unclean animals, it meant that everybody is, it can be made clean. Do not call unclean what God has made clean. And so when Peter goes and he meets Cornelius, it says that Cornelius fell down at his feet. And Peter said, get up, I am just a man. So we see that Peter has no pride in that moment. The gospel continues to change Peter just as it continues to change all of us as we go on our faith journey. Now, at this moment, I want us to challenge ourselves to think about how it is the gospel can change us. What, what are the areas where we may have prejudices? What are the areas where we may be looking down on someone or a group of people because they're different? Or maybe because they struggle with something that we feel we are above? I mean, there, there's the normal things that we have prejudices about. Race, age, class. But then there's other things, too. We, we can see someone living in a certain uh, type of sin and say, no, I, I'm not having anything to do with that. It could be we, we don't abide gossips. We can't stand people who habitually lie. Or it could be much worse. Someone who is in sexual sin. Someone who is struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. It could be someone who is even a murderer, a rapist, a predator. 
people within the walls of a prison, we may say, no, they're unclean. I'm not going near that. I'm not. But what God says is, I have the power to make all of it clean. And do not call what I make clean, unclean. See, the power of grace can heal all of us, regardless. We see sin. We see race. We see age. We see all these things. But what does God see? God sees a child that He created, that He can still restore, that He can still make whole, that He can still bring back into, the, into His fold. Because His grace is that powerful. The sooner we realize that, the sooner we can become humble in our own ministry. It is not up to us to withhold the Word of God, the power of grace, the gospel message from other people just because we don't like them or we think they're different. That's not up to us. God says, nothing is going to come between me and those who cry out to me. Race, class, culture, age. Those may seem like boundaries to us, and in many ways we've let them become boundaries in our world. But God says no more. We serve one God who so loved the world. Not part of the world, not different worlds, not a series of worlds. One world. God loved the world. And He offers that same grace, that same forgiveness, and that same power to become who He created us to be. He offers that to all of us who call out to Him. And if He loves us all in that way, then surely we must also love one another in the same way. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for the new thing that You did through Peter and through Cornelius. We thank You that You made it a point to say, My grace is sufficient for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, because if it weren't for that, Lord, none of us would be here today. You offer that grace to us, a room full of Gentiles, because Your love and Your grace does not discriminate against us. And so, Lord, we beg Your forgiveness for the times where we have discriminated, for the times where we have withheld Your love, Your message, Your peace from anyone else. We beg Your forgiveness. And we ask that You help us to show the same type of mercy, the same type of love to others that You have shown to us. Lord, we are all in this together. We are all in this one world together. And this whole world is offered Your salvation. Please open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, Lord, so that we can love each other the way You love us all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is from the United Methodist Hymnal. It's hymn number 144. This is my Father's world. If you've made a decision of any type today, I invite you, I encourage you to come forward and share that with us. As always, the altar is open. If you would like to spend a few moments in time in prayer, you are more than welcome to do so. But please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 144. This is my Father's world.